This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. And welcome, welcome, good morning, good afternoon. You're here live with Dr. Jeff, where we're your host for the next 30 minutes here on Pet Life Radio. Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff, the only live call-in show here on Pet Life Radio. The live is the key. Call-in is the big thing. So we want to hear from you. Don't be bashful. Don't be shy. Number of ways you can get a hold of us. We'd love to hear from you. 877-385-8882. That's the good old-fashioned way on a telephone. Once again, 877-385-8882. You can also reach me online. By logging into PetLifeRadio.com, clicking on Shows, scroll down to Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff, and you can send me a message right there live. You can send me an email to drjeff at PetLifeRadio.com. But the best way to reach me, the best way to be involved here on the show is to click on the Google Hangout link. That is, once again, at under Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff. You scroll down, and you'll see a rather long link. You don't have to copy it. Just click on it. It'll take you straight here, and you can see me. I can see you. Hopefully, you'll have your pet near you on your lap, whatever the case may be. If it's a Great Dane, I don't think the lap would be a good idea, but you can have them right next to you, and um, we can talk pets. We can talk anything you want. Uh, If I don't have an answer, I will get you an answer. I do my research. I do my homework. As a matter of fact, speaking of homework, now, first of all, I don't know if any of you guys had a chance to see the um, Inside Edition piece I did on Capnocytopica. Say that 10 times fast, Capnocytophaga. That is that weird bacterium in dog saliva that actually caused this guy to have his arms and legs amputated. Don't run away and start giving away your dogs because it's a very, very, very rare bacterium. Well, it's rare. It's a common bacteria, actually, which is why you shouldn't get rid of your dogs because 75% of dogs have it. And you're all still here. You've all been having dogs your whole lives, and you're fine. It has not much as much to do with the bacteria itself as opposed to the the immune status of the person who is getting licked or licked on the face or in the mouth or bitten or scratched or whatever. There has to be a port of entry. It cannot go through intact skin. So either you get licked and then you, or you get you licked on your hands and then you put your hands in your mouth, whatever the case, but it is really rare. And it is the the subjects that have gotten sick from Capnocytophica had an underlying problem themselves. They're on drugs that suppress their immune system. They're alcoholics. They have, they have had their spleens removed for some reason, and they don't have the same reservoir of antibody. And uh, so that's when it can become a problem. You and me, normal people every day who have been around dogs our whole lives, nothing to worry about. As uh, I said, I get more tongue than anybody I know. So, uh, and I'm still here to talk to you every Sunday morning here on Pet Life Radio. So what do I want to talk about today? First of all, we're going to go through some interesting stories I've seen, I've picked up on some of the websites, the news websites, just so you're aware of kind of what goes on in veterinary medicine. What about the changes? Veterinary medicine itself is advancing so fast. I remember back in school, which was a long time ago, one of my mentors said to me that don't be such a smart ass, Werber, because that you will be surprised how fast things become obsolete. As a matter of fact, that they say that every five years, half of what was gospel is now obsolete. So when you're out of school 30 plus years as I am, pretty much nothing I learned in vet school is still appropriate, still applies. Things are changing all the time. Even uh, amongst the experts, things that new medicine would would come out and they would tell us when and how to use it. And now I 
get a consult with them. I say, so what about this? Uh, oh, we don't use that anymore. Oh, no, no, we don't use it that way. It's like, wait a second. You're the ones that you told me how to use it. I remember one of my veterinary neurologist uh, professors, great guy, uh, went on to a Colorado State Vet School and then back at Davis. And uh, he's really terrific. And I had called him because we, be, you know, we became pretty good friends after school. And I had a weird case. And I called him. He was at CSU at the time, Colorado State. And I asked him, I said, Rick, I have this case. And I, and I, he, I explained him the symptoms. He says, well, it could be pettit mal seizures. But they, those are like mini seizures. I go, pettit mal seizures? Rick, you taught us that dogs didn't get pettit mal seizures. They only got grand mal seizures, like the big tonic-clonic shaking, convulsive seizures. He goes, well, I taught you wrong. So that's the truth. I mean, so many things change. So here's some really cool stuff. Everyone talks about cats, and I have six. And I always joke that my cats read the dog book by mistake because they are social. They are cuddly. They come to you for affection and attention. They'll jump up on your lap. And this is interesting. Cats socialized to humans as kittens are often more affectionate and form close ties to their owners. Uh, though they do maintain a level of, of independence, it's not that they're aloof. It's not that they're asocial. Cats are actually very social, but they need that early imprinting. They need that early um, relationship to a person and they actually will socialize pretty well and become really cute and cuddly, which is cute. This is a new test out of Edinburgh, the Veterinary School, the Royal School of Veterinary Studies. And basically, they found a marker that actually comes from human medicine. And again, we often learn a lot from the human medicine side that they can measure in the blood. It turns out dogs have it also. And this marker, it's a chemical or something in the, that's released in cases of liver failure as liver starts to get diseased this marker increases in volume and it can be measured. So the belief is they're now finding out what the norms are for dogs. And then it'll be ultimately a test kit that we can use in an office to predict and both uh, early prediction of liver disease and not only early prediction, but also then early treatment. And that's really cool. Two stories on, and we're going to, this is two, and there are going to be a lot more. Trust me, I know, because this is a hot, hot area. California might be the first state to approve a measure giving veterinarians legal protection to discuss CBD with pets. Now you're going to say, wait a second, it's been legal in Colorado and now it's legal in California. What's the big deal? The big deal is that it's legal for people. The Veterinary Practice Acts in the various states have not yet embraced the ability of veterinarians to prescribe or even to discuss CBD, cannabidiol, with their clients about their pets which is really bizarre when you think about it. I mean, it's okay for you to go home and do whatever you're going to do with it, but, but you can't give it to your pet. And I can't even recommend it. I can't prescribe it, which is crazy. So California is, is setting the tone. And having said that, this is really cool because this was, has been the big problem when it comes to the marijuana products, CBD, you know, the cannabidiol, uh, the cannabinoids, THC. We don't always know what the toxic doses are. We know what could kill them, but we don't know where they start to show toxic signs. Anyway, uh, this is really good. Canadian authorities are approved a clinical trial for using CBD for pets' anxiety. And that's really, really cool. So um, when you think about that, we're just starting. And I think that if, if it becomes legalized in more states, especially states that have veterinary schools, I know CSU, Colorado State, has been doing a lot of work. And now UC Davis will be doing work because it's legalized in California. So it's just a matter of time that we'll have more answers for you as to what the safety issues are, what you can use, how much. Uh, because again, I reported last week or two weeks ago, there's still a lot of toxicity going on because people just don't know. They're not, it's not killing the dogs, but it's getting them pretty sick, weak, wobbly, neurologic signs, vomiting, because we don't know enough. 
at what point can we go and start giving them the, um, the CBD products? Here's another one. This was a cute story. And I, I went online to check it out. You could do it actually, because it's, it's really fun to see. But California just had its World Dog Surfing Championships. That's right. Dogs on surfboard, either in tandem with their owners, sometimes alone. It was in Pacifica, which is near San Francisco. And I saw the story and you know, it had a little link. So if you want to just, if you Google dog surfing championships in Pacifica, California, it's pretty amazing. You know, you remember like the, the, um, the dog on the skateboard, the, the bulldog, the English bulldog. Well, a lot of dogs like being on surfboards and they like being with their owners to start. And then they like the feeling. You see this dog. It's not like, it's not punishment. They love it. The dogs have to wear safety vests, life vests, and they hop on that board. They're having so much fun. So it's really great. Here is also, I thought this was, you know, a cute one. You know, you know, like the Napoleon syndrome you hear about. Well, apparently little dogs have their own version of a Napoleon syndrome. What, they, what does that mean? Well, when little dogs lift their legs to pee on a tree or on a wall or on your car tire, whatever it is, they actually lift their legs higher to increase it, to heighten the stream. So more so than a large dog would lift their leg. So relatively, the urine stream of a, on a surface of a little dog is going to be higher in relation to their own size. And their behaviorists think it's in a way to, by having the higher stream, that it sort of makes them bigger. So if there was any thought of maybe a predator following this dog, they say, oh, no, no, I'm not going near that one. That dog is six feet tall. So uh, anyway, that is a, that's a funny one. Here's another raw food. Uh, and we're going to talk about foods, by the way. Because we're going to talk about grain-free in the second half of the show. You definitely want to stick around. There's a lot of new information about grain-free, and it is not always very pretty. So stick around after the, for the second half of the show. We need to talk about this. Anyway, more raw uh, pet food um, uh, recalls, cat and dog, due to listeria minus tetogenes. GNC Raw is the company. Uh, they recall their Pat's cat turkey food and their ground lamb dog food because of uh, potential listeria. It was a a recall that was voluntary, but we are hearing about this all the time. It's unbelievable. So something you really pay attention, talk to your veterinarian. I mean, don't just say, oh my God, you know, I think raw diets is great, but just think about it this way. Even for sushi lovers out there, they're not just going to pick up any fish and eat it raw. All right. They call it sushi grade for a reason. So it's very important to know that you're just not, it's not always safe. And don't give me the argument which people go all the time, I don't know, but you know, their ancestors in the wild, they used to tear apart an animal and eat it raw. Yes, they did. But the gut flora of those ancestors was not the same as today's domesticated dog. Period. Done. Understand. It's different. So they can't fight off these bacteria. And if they could, we wouldn't have all these recalls and all these problems with listeria and salmonella and E. coli and campylobacter. So there are a lot and even some staph aureus, believe it or not. So some of these pathogens are there in raw food and we, the dogs don't necessarily have the ability on their own to fight them off. So keep that in mind. We've heard a lot of stuff about this lately also when it comes to raw meats. And what I would always say, especially when it comes to the veggie and vegan diets, I say, guys, yes, it is possible Well, with reservation. We're going to talk about this in the second half of the show, but dogs can be on a vegetarian diet. But that doesn't mean they want to be on a vegetarian diet. And I say, I say do your little test at home. Pull up, fill up a bowl with some good meaty food and fill up a bowl next to it of a veggie food and see which one your dog attacks. If your dog attacks a veggie over the meat, then darn it, that's a good diet to feed your dog. But don't think because you're a vegetarian, you're a vegan, 
And you hear, you read that it is possible for a dog to be because they're omnivores and they do get their essential amino acids from the grains that they eat. Let me say that again. They get their essential amino acids, all 30 of them, from grains. And that's going to come important on the second half of the show. So what this study showed is that cats, young cats, who need more protein, will actually eat food that has more protein as they age and their bodies can't handle the protein. We worry about kidney issues, how the protein is digested, et cetera, et cetera. They, on their own, will choose a food that is lower in protein. I think that's interesting. And dogs, similarly. So I think that's great. Cats don't like to drink water, typically. We always recommend canned food for cats. They have to get more water. Some cats don't like dry food. They don't like to drink water. This was interesting. A nutrient-enriched water can benefit cats. Why? Because they'll drink it more. They're getting nutrients. And we just said cats really like, and they, it's almost like they sense when they're getting some energy, not just water. So they'll drink more, which will prevent uh, some dehydration. And because cats aren't water drinkers, I think that's a great thing. So uh, anyway, we're here at that point, halfway point of the show. When we come back, and don't go away because this stuff about grain, grain-free diets, grain-reduced diets, and what a new disease condition we're seeing in dogs that up till now, for a very good reason, we only used to see it in cats. And we're learning more with the grain-free diets. It is rearing its ugly head in dogs. And when we come back, I'll let you know why. Don't go away. Sit. Stay. We'll be right back after a short pause. Well, four to be exact. What if you could protect the life of your cat with something so simple and affordable that you already use every day? Get ready for the evolution of kitty litter. It's Pretty Litter. Along with all the features you've come to expect from your kitty litter, Pretty Litter's patented and scientific formula will also monitor your cat's health and detect illnesses early while providing industry-leading odor control. Two kitty litters, same cat, same price. But there's one important difference. Pretty Litter reacts to your cat's waste by detecting health issues simply by changing color. And the key is that Pretty Litter detects these issues before your cat shows symptoms of physical illness or pain, likely saving you major dollars in vet bills while protecting the health of your cat. What do you think, little guy? Ready to switch litter? Pretty Litter. Colorful insight into your cat's health. Go to prettylittercats.com forward slash cat 101 or use coupon code cat 101 to get 20% off your first subscription order. Does your dog itch, scratch, stink, or shed like crazy? Come to Dynavite for help. Order a 90-day supply of Dynavite. Dynavite is nutrition. Pick up two bottles of Lico Chops, get the third bottle free. New improved Lico Chops. With omega-3, omega-6, vitamin E. And now, six extra direct-fed microbials. Even better for the digestive tract and immune system. Try LicoChops. Buy two, get one free. At Dinovite.com. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot com. Let's Talk Pets. Let's Talk Pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. <laughs> And welcome back. You're live with Dr. Jeff Werber here on Live Radio. It's Ask the Best with Dr. Jeff. And as I mentioned before the break, we are going to talk about something very serious. I tried not to get too technical, too scientific, but this one is very important to understand because I feel that if you understand something, then you don't really have to memorize it because you understand it. You get it. 
I tell that to young doctors. I tell that to students that don't ever try to memorize something. If you understand conceptually what it's all about, then it makes sense. And then, then you don't have to memorize anything. So here's one. We've known for years that there are an essential amino acid called taurine. And cats cannot make their own taurine. So typically, we would see a disease in cats that was linked to taurine deficiency called DCM. That's dilated cardiomyopathy. And it could be deadly. And so it has been known that one of the reasons why it's so important, and we say that cats have to be obligate carnivores, cats need meat and fish. Why? One of the reasons is, is that meat and fish contain substantial amounts of taurine. And therefore, since the cats can't make it on their own, by feeding higher taurine levels, we will minimize or potentially prevent DCM in cats. So now, taurine is one of four sulfur amino acids. There's cysteine, okay, methionine, homocysteine, and taurine. Cysteine and methionine are the only ones that are used to make proteins, and they're very important. So they are ones that we get from food, and with those, we can make a lot of different, you know, different types of proteins, and um, they're essential to be there. So what's happening is taurine is also a sulfur amino acid, and it can be made from cysteine methionine, which is why we talk about having the sulfur to make sulfur amino acids. Dogs that can do this make their own. As long as what? As long as they have enough cysteine and methionine, then they can make their own taurine, which they do. Okay, very simple. So now we're going to get to the bad part. Where does cysteine and methionine often come from? They come from grains. Grains have most, I think, all of the amino acids in one form or another. And it's very important. Grains have high levels of methionine and low levels of lysine. Lysine is not involved in the production of taurine. So what are we seeing now? with the increased popularity of grain-free foods, we're seeing now cases in dogs of DCM, dilatative cardiomyopathy. Well, you say, wait a second, they make their own. Ah, they make their own. They can get it from meat, which they, they get in their diets, but they have to make it themselves using cysteine and methionine. So what have these manufacturers, these food companies, first of all, people who are looking for grain-free usually are also looking at veggie diets. So basically by feeding vegetables, and no grains, you're eliminating the abilities, the dog's ability to make taurine. So you could feed them more meat. But what's happening is what are these companies doing to substitute the grain free? When they're taking the grains out, they're putting something in. Are they putting in more meat? No, they're not. Are they putting in more fish? No, they're not. They're putting in legumes and soy. But guess what? Legumes and soy have very low levels of methionine. They have more lysine. So what's happening is by taking out the grains, which are providing these great sulfur amino acids, allowing the dog to make its own taurine, and substituting this with legumes, beans, and peas, and soy, which don't have high levels of methionine, and they are basically limiting the dog's ability by not giving them the building blocks in the foods they're eating to make enough of their own taurine. So what's happening? Like cats, now dogs, which never had this problem because they eat a lot of meat and had a lot of grains, are now not getting enough meat or grains. They're not getting enough building blocks to make their own taurine. And we are seeing DCM in dogs. So it's very important to understand. It's not that the grain-free is bad. It's the fact that by substituting it with legumes and not more meat, then that's the problem. Or, or just adding more methionine to the diet, to the uh, ingredient deck. 
So as long as they got enough methionine and cysteine and they can make their own taurine, everything is going to be fine. But this is so new that a lot of these grain-free foods out there that have not either substituted with meat or with just plain methionine, if they're using legumes to replace the grain, then your dog might have a problem with DCM. So very important, very important. Speak to your veterinarian. I know a good friend of mine who makes Wagtricious, one of my, my favorite supplements, is actually coming out with a taurine supplement for dogs. So if you choose to feed that veggie diet or that vegan diet or grain-free diet, that it will provide the dog with enough of the building blocks or the taurine itself to help prevent this cardiomyopathy, this dilatative cardiomyopathy. So it's very, very important. Um, I want you guys to know about it. Talk to your veterinarians. Read up on it. It's really, I mean, we're getting alerts. You know, this is this was a shocker to the veterinary community as well because we didn't, you know, it didn't up till now realize the importance of the grains. And I will tell you something else. And you should check with your veterinarian about this. And you can check with the American College of Dermatology, Veterinary Dermatology. And that is that really, to date, there have been no major tests done on grain allergies. And once again, it is the us, the pet parent, that tends to anthropomorphize. They want to avoid the grains and the wheats and the glutens, right? Because of whatever reason, because everybody all of a sudden has, you know, celiac disease and is, is allergic to glutens. But don't, don't, just because someone else had it doesn't mean you have it. Just because you have it doesn't mean your dog is the same way. It's so important that we are different organisms, different needs, different metabolisms, etc. And though you choose to eat that way, it's not necessarily that your dog has to eat that way. Now, if it's a philosophical issue, all right, then you need to learn more about what to feed and start making the adjustments in the diet to make sure that you're not hurting your dog by feeding him the way you choose to eat. And it's very simple. And we're, as I said, we're hearing more and more negatives about raw, more and more stories out there. And now with the vegan and veggie and grain freeze, we're also turning in, seeing some more issues. And I will tell you that the only, well, I wouldn't say the only, of course, any dog, any individual dog can be allergic to any grain, meat, protein source, etc. But the big ones that we see most allergies in from the meat side are going to be beef and poultry. And from the uh, grain side, it's going to be wheat and corn. And so if you want to avoid something, avoid just those four to start. Now, you want to look for a novel protein diet that doesn't have either the beef, poultry, wheat, or corn. You can look for something like venison if it's truly you're doing it because of a food allergy. But don't assume that because food allergies and grain allergies can affect people, it's going to affect your dog. There's really been very little proof that, the, that many of the other grains out there are causing allergic disease in dogs. So just be, you know, it's interesting. I was at a sort of a, an educational media seminar as I started working with one of the big food companies, do, helping them with their marketing and media. And there was another veterinarian, a colleague of mine, who also does a lot of media. And we were brought on to sort of educate the masses, do some media, do some blogging, do some news pieces, radio pieces, et cetera. And um, there also there was a human, you know, well, she was obviously a person, but her field was nutrition from the human side. And why was she there? Why would you have a human nutritionist there? The reason is because we all know that some of the buzzwords, some of the things that you look for when you buy pet food for your pets, you are anthropomorphizing. And so you're buying what you would buy for yourself. And uh, 
It was so interesting to hear, and it's no secret, the manufacturers know it so much so that they actually brought in a person who works, does the same thing with human companies for human food. So it, it's very important to tread lightly, do some homework, talk to your veterinarian. And if you want to you know, go into this with a little bit with, more with me, please do so. Just get a hold of me at Dr. Jeff at PetLifeRadio.com. But just don't dump and buy for your dog what you think is good for your dog because you believe in it or it's good for you as well. All right, that's all we have time for today. I want to thank you for being here. If you have any, any issues, any questions, any need any more information about any of this, please just feel free to contact me anytime during the week. Um, you can also um, check me out on Instagram at Dr. Jeff Werber. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram. I promise you, you'll be, I'll put a smile on your face with the tons of cute pets I see every day, lucky me, and, and some educational videos. Um, we only get, there, there are one minute videos. And I got uh, another couple I'll do this week. So stay tuned at drjeffwerber.com. And once again, you can always reach me um, here at Pet Life Radio, drjeffpetliferadio.com. Have a great week, everybody. I am going to be attending the Central Veterinary Conference next week in Kansas City. So I will not be here live to do my show. Uh, there'll, I'm sure will be a, a rerun of one of my shows. I, I've got a couple hundred out there. I'm sure Mark will pick a good one. So uh, anyway... Uh, we'll see you though two weeks back here. If there's any topic, and I say this every week, that you want to hear more about, but you're just not clear about, uh, you took your pet to your veterinarian and, and they're, they're trying to have you do something and you're just not, you just want more information, you want to understand it better, get a hold of me here at Pet Life Radio and we will talk about it. And hopefully I will solve that, that, that and increase the clarity for what you're dealing with with your pets. Have a wonderful two weeks and we'll see you here in two. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.